It's Thursday, March 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio and Motley Fool Rule Breakers, Simon Erickson. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. It is day two of our South by Southwest coverage because David Kretzman and Aaron Bush were in here yesterday. But, and you and I were talking about this this morning. You were there with them, but you were in different venues than they were. So I'm curious what your takeaways were. And let's start with, and I mentioned this yesterday, that as South by Southwest has evolved from something that's just about music and film to now being about technology, this year for the first time there was a health and medical technology expo. That's where you spent a bunch of your time as an analyst, as an investor. What was the headline for you? What was the main takeaway? Because I know you've got tons of notes. And just as I mentioned to David Kretzman yesterday, you know, David's still sort of working through his stuff. I know you're still working through yours, but what's the big takeaway from the healthcare and medical technology front? Yeah. So like you said, Chris, we, we kind of divided and conquered and saw a whole bunch of stuff, but you know, and we did that on purpose. But from the healthcare side of things, the big thing that stood out for me is this new era of citizen health, they're calling it. This is where it used to be that doctors kind of knew you better than you knew yourself. You'd go on a doctor, you get a checkup, they say, okay, you're sick, you need to take this drug, here's your prescription, go and, and, and you know, come back when, whenever you're not feeling good again, or if you ever need to come back again because you're not feeling well. But now this is kind of more about patients having the data in front of them so that they really know what's going on with them. This is electronic health records and kind of the, the patients themselves having more control over over their bodies and, and, you know, what they're being treated for out there. You know, it's interesting because, and I'm just going to use myself and my experience dealing with different medical professionals in my life, and without <clears throat> naming without naming doctors, <laughs> I'll just put it this way. I've got one doctor I see on a regular basis, and that doctor's office has fully embraced the types of things you're talking about, electronic records, uh, making things more efficient when I go for visits, that sort of thing. This other doctor that I see on a regular basis, anytime I say some version of, well, I was doing some research online about X, Y, and Z, I get the eye roll and the head shaking, and it's just sort of, you know, and I like, I like all of the medical professionals that I deal with, but it strikes me that the type of thing that you're talking about, while on balance is probably a good thing, I can see some percentage of the medical community really pushing back on this. Just as, you know, I'm sure for, for younger people, the idea of electronic records makes complete sense. You go back 20 years ago, there was a huge pushback on the idea of electronic records. Yeah, and I agree. And, I, and they actually said that's probably the biggest challenge is some doctors are going to push back on this and say, no, how dare you question our judgment? We know what's best here kind of thing. And that's going to be one of the transitions. I'm assuming, and David and Aaron and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, I'm assuming that in the healthcare technology world at South by Southwest, you've got some, maybe not startups, but younger companies are there also sort of big players involved in this as well? And if so, who are they? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it right now is the hospitals. Uh, we, we, the Mayo Clinic was actually one of the, large, one of the largest systems in the United States. It's really embracing this as far as innovation and pushing this forward. There was um, 
a lot of this, I think, is, is going to deal with the cost aspect of it too, Chris. They did a study of 32,000 people in the country, and they kind of ranked people from zero to four. Zero is doctors in charge. I don't even know what's going on. I just do what they say. Four is I'm completely in tune with what's going on. I want to really know what's going on with, with, with my health chart and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the interesting thing is when you compare the fours to the zeros, their health care costs are actually 31% lower if somebody is really active and really engaged in their own health plan. And that shows that I think that there's, there's some cost savings that, that also um, are, can be associated with the health benefits from something like this. So that's a win-win for a lot of people. Uh, the first parallel that leaps to mind is the financial industry, yeah. where people who are more engaged in their finances, more engaged in their investments, and part of that is being more aware of the fees that they are paying, are probably doing better and growing their wealth and saving on fees than people who just are at the zero end of the spectrum and just saying, handing money over to a financial advisor and saying, do whatever you want with it. I, I just want no part of it. Yeah. And, and just a final note on that, too, is I think that the pharmaceutical companies have really a lot to win out of this, too. More, really? more, more data is always good for the people that are developing the next wave of drugs. So electronic health records and looking at large populations of you know what's going on out there, what should we be spending our R&D dollars on to fix right now. I think there's a lot of potential for them also. But they're also going to have to make some adjustments in how they've been doing business. Because if you think about, for lack of a better term, their funnel up until now, a big part of their funnel has been going to the medical professionals, going to the doctors and saying, we've just developed this new drug. This is what it does. These are the benefits. These are the side effects. We would love it if you would recommend it to your patients. And if you have more engaged patients, who have access to their own data, then that system, I don't want to say it's its absolutely going to be broken, but it's going to be, parts of it are going to be breaking off. And, and we agree. I mean, we spent a lot of time at Rule Breakers looking at personalized medicine and the implications of something like that. Now that you're looking at individuals on a case-by-case basis at the at the genomic level. It's incredible time right now. All right. I, I know there's one other big topic you want to get to, but just quickly, um, you had mentioned it this morning, and I'm a little curious. Predictive analytics. Aaron Bush talked about big data yesterday, but I hear the phrase predictive analytics. That seems like a, an offshoot of that. Uh, give me 30 seconds or so of, of an investor's takeaway on predictive analytics at South by Southwest. So we are uh, in, a, in a state now that data drives everything, Chris. Just to put this into perspective, 90% of the world's data, as a pit of trivia, how long ago do you think 90% of the world's data was created? Oh, gosh, I'm terrible at these things. Um, <laughs> 90% of the world's data, uh, I don't know, five years ago? I don't know. One year. In the last one year's worth of the, the, let me say that a different way. In the last year, we've created what is now 90% of the world's data out there. There is an exponential growth that's going on right now as far as how much data is out there for us to analyze. I'm hoping that somewhere smart people are working on (laughs) how we can analyze all of that data. That's exactly what predictive analytics is. It's saying, hey, let's take all of this and optimize the experience for purchasers so that if they want to buy things, we're hitting them at the right time and we're maximizing the number of transactions for companies that are selling stuff. I remember reading a year or two ago about Amazon, and this sounds like exactly what you're talking about, about Amazon analyzing uh, shopping trends 
And the way that Amazon was using it in this article that I read was that they were proactively fulfilling different fulfillment centers with certain products because they were looking at people saying, well, if this person who lives in the greater Philadelphia area has bought these 10 things, there's a pretty good chance they're going to buy these three other things. Let's not wait for them to buy it. Let's go ahead and get those products to the fulfillment center so that when they do buy it, as we expect, we can get it to them even sooner than they expect. Yeah, absolutely correct. And, you know, we, there's some studies that said that 57% of the purchase decisions actually completed before a customer even talks to a supplier. We're doing our own research ahead of time. Amazon is, is the full fulfillment center that, you know, is taking care of that stuff. But it's kind of, you know, in years past, it's been kind of almost annoying for, for people that want to buy it. People don't like to buy things or don't like to sell. <laughs> Excuse me. People don't like to be sold things. They like to buy things. And, you know, you don't want to fill out tons of surveys about what you're interested in. You just want the person that's selling it to you to know ahead of time. And we're in an age now, I think, that predictive analytics is starting to do that. So it's, it's actually very good for, I think, the retail industry right now. Uh, before we move on, who's leading the charge on the tech side? We talked a lot with Cisco, uh, you know, which has kind of got a really uh, solid process in place for doing this right now. But you know, with Hadoop and all of these other kind of systems out there for smaller guys to actually analyze large amounts of data right now, I think you have to look at kind of the smaller side. You know, we like um, we like Splunk as, as a company that's a rule breaker's recommendation right now. That's a, a smaller company doing big things like that. Also, okay. Um, before we move on. Uh, to a travel tip for Austin, because I got to hit you up like I hit the guys yesterday. Um, human computer interface. I'm not. I'm not. Tell me why I shouldn't be horrified by the thought of human con- <laughs> human computer interfaces. Not as scary as it as it sounds. Okay. I promise. It's just the. Uh, this is. It, this. I'm not going to go Terminator on you here or okay. anything like that. The rise of the machines, but the whole idea is basically just that for. The majority of the last, excuse me, four decades, computers have kind of been, you know, you you sit at a desktop and you've got a mouse and a keyboard and you're punching stuff in from a stationary uh, workstation like this. And more and more computing is going mobile. I mean, smartphones was kind of the first wave of of this whole decentralized process. It's going to be all around us now. And so we're going to interact with computers in different ways. It's not just clicking a mouse and punching stuff on a keyboard. And so, um, human consider or uh, human con- <laughs> having a tough time today here, Chris. That's all right. You've been busy. <laughs> human you've been busy, and you've been traveling. Too much so on the I, mind. I, I hit you up at the at the wrong time. I clearly need another cup of coffee. Human computer interfaces. There, I knew I'd get there eventually. <laughs> is kind of you know this is stuff like Google Now, which is contextually aware. It knows what you're saying and what you're looking for, or you know Microsoft Connect. That's that's noticing gestures and motion as an input for something that's processed or various ways of, of touching screens in different ways. You've seen the double clicks on stuff like tablets and stuff now. But the user experience is changing from being stationary to being mobile. And there's a lot of opportunity for companies to focus on those interfaces. It also sounds like the type of thing to tie it back to where we started with the medical community that uh, would have some serious applications there, particularly if we do move 
as it sounds like we are moving as uh, as a society towards remote doctor visits, quote unquote, where you're in your home, you're actually not getting in your car and driving to the doctor's office, but maybe you've got a video conference and you've got, whether it's a device on your wrist or a device in your home that's able to monitor your blood pressure, that sort of thing, that uh, that we're moving towards that world. Yeah, and you know, the even better part is that most of that stuff looks normal 99% of the time. It's the 1% that something looks out of whack that you immediately want to say, okay, now is the time that I need to be in the hospital and talk to a doctor. Before we wrap up, uh, I want to mention again, Go Banking Rates, uh, which is an online portal for, frankly, just a ton of banking information and rates on mortgages, car loans, credit cards, etc. And uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Go Banking Rates has come out with a list of the best financial radio shows and podcasts. And Motley Fool Money, our weekly radio show, is made the list. We're one of the finalists. Um, so you can go to GoBankingRates.com and vote for the winner. Dave Ramsey's on that list. Clark Howard, the Freakonomics guys. We love those. We love Stephen Dubner. In fact, we're, I think we're going to try and get Stephen Dubner from Freakonomics back on the radio show because they have another book coming out later this spring. But uh, uh, we'd like it if you'd vote for us. Um, and this is uh, like the city of Chicago. You can vote early, you can vote often, you can vote every day. Just go to GoBankingRates.com. If you vote for us, we'd appreciate it. But you know what? If you're going to vote for Freakonomics, I can't. I can't argue with that. I can't argue with. I no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to yell at you for that. Love those guys. Um, at Market Foolery is our Twitter handle. Got a tweet from Tobin Anthony in Virginia with the hashtag Things to Do in Austin. He wrote Sunset at the Oasis Restaurant Beautiful. on Lake Travis. I haven't been there, but I did see a photo online, and it does look like one of those idyllic places to have a bite to eat, have a drink at the end of the day, watch the sunset. I mean, that it looks absolutely gorgeous, but I'm not letting you off the hook. Tell me, for, tell our listeners, for anyone who's going to Austin, Texas, whether for work or pleasure, what's one thing that they should think about doing? Well, Chris, I, I love Austin. I did my undergrad at University of Texas, and they're is always a special spot in my heart for this city. There's a ton of good things to do, but if there's only one thing that you get a chance to do when you're in town, eat Tex-Mex. There are so many good places that you can eat Mexican food. Tex-Mex is, you know, the Texas spin on in, in Austin. Uh, we were at Guero's Taco Bar down in South Congress, went to Trudy's, which has got a killer, you know, enchiladas and Mexican martini there. Eat some of the, lo- the local flavor of Tex-Mex, it's fantastic. Austin, obviously a much smaller city than San Francisco, and yet, like San Francisco, Austin strikes me as one of those cities where it is really, really, really hard to get a bad meal. It seems like just food is celebrated there, and almost anywhere you go, you're going to get a good meal. And it's got some kick to it too, Chris. I know you're from Maine, so this might this might no, be no, no. I, I like the kick. Okay. I like I like the spice. I'm a, I'm a fan of the spicy. So. You can't do wrong in town. All right, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.